So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Zach on Film. I am Zach on Film. Across from me is Steven Schleicher. Hello. Hello, Steven. All the way across the internet, Matthew Peterson. Hello, Mr. Wolf. Welcome to our home. Uh, we are continuing our um, our trot to fatherhood and having a child <laughs> by uh, exactly watching horror, horror movies. movies. <laughs> I We're told someone... To prepare you for the horror that is parent. I told someone... Uh, is a family member the schedule like the future schedule of movies that we have planned for uh-huh. the end of this thing and they go what why are you doing that that makes that is stupid <laughs> well, it's October. why it's, would you do that it's, it's october and it's a scary movie month hey that's what it I said. so happens to coincide with zach having a child that's what i said uh, in the very near and, future and i said we you know we've we've, we've skirted around the subject of horror movies uh, ever since Steven saw me wet myself in a preview of a horror movie, uh, he's he's graciously avoided horror movies. But now uh, we can no longer avoid them. Nope. Because a I think a true masterpiece of uh, a film came out uh, actually this year, and that movie yeah. was directed by and created by uh, Jordan Peele of the Key and Peele fame from Comedy Central sketch show. Uh, and he was the mind behind the film Get Out, mm-hmm. which uh, we are talking about this week, which is uh, super, super exciting for me. Why is it super exciting for you? Uh, because it's you a horror us, movie that I love. You lead us on the discussion where you want to go. Yeah, this is a movie that, well, first off, the fact that Jordan Peele was the director behind this, it first it initially got me interested because uh, I'm a big fan of Key and Peele and mm-hmm. what they did, and... Uh, then to see his name associated with a horror movie that looked from the first trailer I saw uh, really interesting. And then from that moment on, it actually uh, seeing early reactions to the film and then actually sitting down in the theater watching this film, I think it is uh, a true wonder. And I think the seeing it in the theater thing is very important. Oh, yeah, because you got to see important. it in the theater. Yeah. I did see it in theater. And Stephen, you saw it afterwards. Yeah. And Matthew, I think this is the first time you've seen Get Out, right? Yeah, saw it in the living room with my 13-year-old a couple of nights ago. Fantastic. It is, there's not a whole lot of movies that I actually think, oh, this was good to see in theater. I think, you know, it's just nice to be in that atmosphere, to watch it on a big screen, to see it in a theater. Uh, so, but real, this movie, real quick, tell yeah, us yeah. what your theater experience was like. It was great. It was, it was, uh, Stephen, you're familiar with our theater. 
It was in. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> it was in one of the two smaller ones. Yeah, I'm it sure was, it was. It was in back. Mm-hmm. I think we saw it a week or two after it, and it finally came out. And so it was back there. It, it was probably 30 people in there, but it was still pretty full for that small theater. Mm-hmm. And it was really good. I think the, the the nice thing about this movie is that when people react, people react to this movie. Like sure. it was everyone like cathartically <laughs> uh, aghast at what was happening on screen. And that is what made it good. Having all so those people they, react at the same time. So were they aghast over the quote unquote horror aspect or were they aghast at the huge racial stuff that was going on in the, in the movie? Well, it's hard to separate those two. Right. In this film. Cause I don't but know. There's a certain, there's like one turn when we finally get to the plot of this yeah. movie. Do you know who Eddie Murphy is? Just out of curiosity. I know who Eddie Murphy is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're young. I mean. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. But so yeah. who is Eddie Murphy, first of all? He's a comedian. Okay. All right. Just making sure because yeah. I don't want somebody coming up and go, oh, yeah, I know Eddie Murphy. He does the donkey in the in the Shrek films. <laughs> uh, well, he does. I mean, he does. Do so that. Eddie Murphy has a routine uh, about people going to the movies. And oh, sure. in some theaters, when you're at a horror movie, you have a large portion of the audience screaming at the theater to not go in there, yeah. to not do that, to get away, right. et cetera. And uh, in Eddie Murphy's routine, uh, he talks about how if black people ever went into a house and a demonic voice told you to get <laughs> out, then you're like, oops, sorry, this heck, too bad we can't stay. And then they leave. Yeah. That's where the title of this film comes from. In yeah. fact, Peel wanted Eddie Murphy to play the title role in this movie. Until he was like, eh, he's kind of too old for this subject matter. And so then that's when they found uh, Daniel, um, and I'm going to mess up his name, Kaluya. Yeah. Uh, Say Kaluya. Kaluya, something like that. Um, And so then it just, you know, magically came together. But I just wanted to know because some people are like, oh, why is it called Get Out? Because it is said one time in the the movie, Mm -hmm. but also it has that relevance going way back to the 1980s when Matthew and I were young children's mm. listening to raw on a bootleg cassette with the volume turned way down. So our mothers didn't, uh, didn't, uh, come in and beat us senseless. Yeah. Or, you know, in my mother's case, come in and steal the tape and not give it back. <laughs> but yeah, the theater experience was great. I think people reacted well. The, the thing about get out and it's something that Peel has explained in interviews is he wanted to create a character in a horror movie that didn't do all of the stupid, stupid stuff that is so trope in horror movies, but still does everything, but not to like the extent right in horror movies. Like he very clearly at one point understands we can no longer be in this house. He doesn't dilly dally. He doesn't like, He is always skeptical of the people in there, Especially and it comes the, to a time, and it's like, no, we're leaving. Well, but he also knows by the time you get to that that big reveal, he knows that Rose is in on this, and that's why when he's like, oh, Rose, you can't find the keys, and and she's like, no, I can't find the keys. He's like, oh, you can't find the keys, because he knows that this is all the BS that's that's building up to that. Yeah, there's certainly- It's interesting. It too late, though. It's interesting because- Peel does say that, you know, he did want to create a character that was woke about this whole thing through the entire experience and knew what was going on and was to a point in control of everything. Um, except when he gets, you know, beat over the head and yeah, right. dragged down into the basement. Yeah. So 
if anyone hasn't seen Get Out and you're listening to this point, it's too late. But now we're going to go through uh, the plot real fast. Is uh, Get Out is, 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 a, is a movie that follows uh, an interracial couple. Was it David? I always forget his name. Crap, I had it uh, up and Chris? I lost it. Chris. Yeah, Chris and Rose. Uh, Chris is black. Rose is white. They are a couple. Mm-hmm. And they are going to Rose's parents' upstate New York for the weekend. And she has told Chris that she, they she has not told her parents that he is black mm-hmm. and that this is the first black man she has dated. Uh, he's skeptical about how these people react, but she reassures him that, no, they're progressive and they're cool and it's, it's going to be fine. Uh, cut to the house. Things are... Racially weird from the beginning as his dad, her dad is, you know, trying to make an impression that yeah. he's cool. Right. Right. Like right. he's down. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's good. I would have voted for Obama a third time. Right. If I could. Yeah. That is a line that is said twice to make a point. Yeah. Um, to, to put Chris at ease, right? Yeah. Uh, that's what if, they're trying to do. I don't know if you guys watch Atlanta. Uh, I haven't yet. So I forget which episode is like six or seven. They go and meet a friend of um, Donald Glover's mm-hmm. um, girlfriend slash wife, whatever. Uh, they go to meet one of her friends, and she's married to a white guy who is this guy this. turned up to eleven. Mm-hmm. So if people have watched Atlanta, you kind of know that that same thing. About, or if you just like you know, like possibly are yeah, a white a, person, or if, like, if you are a white in person, the, in with a you know what people, you yes. know what this the family yes. is acting like. Yes, 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 <laughs> and. So, you know, uh, Rose has a weird brother who is uh, oddly aggressive. And as the weekend plays out, it's like, oh, it's our big friend gathering that your grandpa always had mm-hmm. every year. And it's the same day every year. It's the same day I can't every year. believe you forgot. Right. And so, through, well, before we get to the party. Chris goes out for a smoke outside and comes back in and Rose's mom is a psychiatrist mm-hmm. uh, who specializes in uh, hypnosis and puts Chris or she hypnotizes Chris and brings up things in his past, specifically uh, how his mom died at a young age and how he feels responsible for it. Right. And through this hypnosis, uh, she pretty much just paralyzes him in a chair while stirring tea sends him to the sunken place sends him uh he makes him she makes him sink into the floor yeah uh and chris falls into a black abyss only to look through a tiny tv screen of the reality that his body is actually in while his mind is uh not in control whatsoever Mm -hmm. but he wakes up and it's the next day and he has a weird feeling and then uh it is the party time and uh, imagine Rose's dad, but then uh, calling out all the specific attributes of a black man and uh, trying to put someone at ease, being like, oh, I know Tiger Woods. Right. You know, I know right. Tiger Woods. Oh, God. Um, you know, so is, it, is it true about what they say about black men? Right. Um, what else did they say? Oh, you know, fairer skin has been in vogue for... Two, two or three hundred years, but now uh, black, is, black in, is in fashion. Black is in yeah. fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the group of 
people that have descended upon uh, Rose's family's home. The to red, note the Red Alchemy Society. <laughs> well, I don't know what that means. That's that's the name of this group. Is the Red Alchemy Society? Oh, there was I'll name? tell you more about the whole the whole uh, secret society oh, okay. part that goes into this. Okay. Um, so of note, right at this point is uh, the Armitages. Is that the last name? Ar- Armitage. Ar- Ar- Armitage. Armitage, which is also another Armitage important name. Have uh, two. Let's call them workers. Uh, for their um, house. <laughs> servants. Servants. That would be great. Yeah. Uh, they're also black. Uh, one male, one female. One works in the yard, one works in the home. And they uh, are at this house. And then showing up is also a young black man that we actually saw the very beginning of this movie. Right. Logan, where, Logan King is his name. Yeah. Logan is... Uh, walking in a neighborhood at night, mm-hmm. the very beginning of this movie, mm-hmm. and he can't seem to quite find where he was going. And a white car starts following him, and he's not having this. Uh, then he gets taken out by a man in a metal mask. Uh, Logan that, is what they called him. His name is uh, Andre. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, he shows up at this party. He's acting differently. He doesn't have any facial hair anymore. He's in uh, clothes that are much different than we saw him wear at the beginning of the film, and is acting. Odd, and at this point, things truly start spiraling, and the true motives of Rose's family start to come to light. Complete with an an auction mm-hmm. on who will buy Chris, and uh, the nefarious deeds of Rose and her family come out. And uh, the whole plot essentially is this family and this society is capturing. Uh, black people because the woman servant that we meet is is also been essentially what is well, happening. Both, both of the workers, I mean, the, both of the workers, yeah, our family uh, members, our fam- family yeah. members, yeah. they have gone in and they've done. And this is the the creepy part of the of the movie is that they are transplanting brains, yeah, from white people into black people because because, because of a number of different of reasons. Uh, you know, and everybody who is asking questions at the party. Are asking because that is what they they see or the value in in the black person, right? Mm. The guy that's a golfer that's asking about Tiger Woods. He thinks that by being black, I will be a good golfer like Tiger Woods, and so on and so mm. forth. So it gets really, really weird. But then when you understand in context that oh, they're kidnapping these black people, swapping brains with them, and you know, not their entire brains though, mm. a large portion of their brain. So there is a portion of the original host. That's still back in the back of their head so that when essentially forever in the yeah, sunken place. Yeah, it's forever in the sun, sunken place so that when Chris sets off the flash, he's taking a picture to send to his friend Rod. Uh, he sets off that flash and that creates an epileptic seizure in uh, Logan slash Andre who kind of momentarily comes out of the sunken place. And that's when he's telling Chris, get out. And that's when things get, you know, get well, really we weird. Have a title drop. Yeah. 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 And so. The the two big turns in the theater when watching this for the first time, um, people started getting tilt head. You know, and you're like, what's happening when Rose and Chris go off for a walk and the rest of the family and the friends are playing bingo and they start doing a, a silent auction. Right. It's not really explained. You just figure it out by hand gestures and people putting up bingo 
And cards. the fact that there's a picture of Chris yeah. behind him as he's taking. Well, that is it. a yeah. It's a slow reveal of mm-hmm. Rose's dad just doing like a bunch of hand gestures and bingo cards going up, and the camera continues to pull out, and you see uh, what like looks like to be a photo you would use at a funeral. Yeah. Of Chris. <laughs> uh, as Which is like the prize. What it would have been. Yeah. So that started a, a chain reaction of people starting getting weird when Chris. At this point, we have to leave. Obviously, he doesn't see this auction, but they get back mm-hmm. to the house, and it's like, it's time, it, we're leaving, it's time to go, and he discovers a, like, a cupboard where Rose has kept all of these photos of past relationships where she's another black woman, men, another black woman, and while she has been adamant that you're the first one I've dated, you know, uh, that is, uh, starts to break apart, and then... When they're downstairs with Rose's family. Well, you forgot the, fr- the big scary parts is the the thing that finally lets Chris in on it is he comes across two photographs. One photograph of the guy who is the yard worker. Well, yeah. And then another one of a woman who is the housekeeper. You're right. And then Chris is downstairs trying to leave. Rose seemingly cannot find the keys in her purse. Uh, still acting the part, not knowing Chris has seen these uh, these photographs. And then he's kind of getting it. And then her face completely changes, mm-hmm. holds up the keys and says, you know, I can't let you have these keys, babe. Yeah. Oh. And at that point, uh, the theater erupted and uh, Chris uh, got knocked out due to uh, a spoon tapping a teacup. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that was the point where, yeah. that's the point where my daughter jumped up and said, I knew it. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> I do tell Zach that I was right. <laughs> I knew I was right. Uh, she did not trust that girl from the beginning. Well, that's good. She must have watched Girls and n- understands her character, Marnie. <laughs> no, no <laughs> it was Peter Pan, actually. Oh, okay, of course. Trust her from. Sure. Um, yeah, at that point, it is you. You learn more about this family's past and how they've been doing this for a while and their whole plot and. They don't really give you an explanation of why they're doing it besides uh, the person who bought Chris saying, this is just the way it's always been, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, we, we do get that weird Colonel Sanders film yeah. of how they figured out to do it and how, you know, his evil dad's evil dad came up with this plan. It just... Uh, 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 thanks this whole family. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, we get an escape attempt by Chris... He is successful, um, but only after mm, killing everyone in the family besides technically Rose. He doesn't kill. Well, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, he doesn't. She's still alive. She's still he- alive when, and, um, you know, the get him grandpa was the, the one of the creepiest lines to me. Oh, uh, was You know, mm-hmm. uh, then, of course, uh, grandpa comes out of it. And he turns the gun on her and himself. Right. At which point he, at which point Chris is standing over two dead bodies, a black man covered in blood, strangling a white woman. When police lights roll up, mm-hmm. a police car rolls and up, and again, in that in that moment too, everyone, because we've been rooting for Chris to escape this right. hell, this hellscape. Right. And then you see red and blue flashing lights. We've already had a run in with a cop beginning of this film, mm-hmm. and everyone just sinks into the chair. So, and the reason for that is. In most horror films, when the police show up, it's usually, oh, thank goodness, the police are here. Everything's Mm -hmm. going to be all right. But as we've seen in this society and the commentary that 
Peel is putting throughout this whole place because he wrote this when Obama, um, I think it was his first, first term ele- elections. When yeah. The idea came. Uh, when the idea came to him that, oh, everyone says racism over, but no, it's not. And then and then fortunately, or unfortunately, this movie came out in this current administration. And now people are more aware of, oh, no, uh, racism is there. This is going to be bad news for Chris, because if these are police officers, they're going to kill him because they think it's a crazy man just attacking yeah. a white woman without really knowing. And then, of course, it turns out to be Rod and ah. the TSA. Get S done. Yeah. Gets S done. Now, there was an alternate ending to this. This was shot twice. Uh, In the original ending, it does end up with Chris being arrested by white police officers and Mm -hmm. going to jail and Rod trying to get the answer out of him of why this happened. And it just kind of ends that way. Mm -hmm. Um, After I don't remember if he said after they screened it, uh, they they went back and and changed the ending to something that was a little bit more positive in a weird horror kind that, of way. But uh, Peel does state that this made yeah. for the better ending. I saw the the alternate ending with the commentary in the version that I saw. And basically what he said was when he wrote it, he was working from the expectation that racism is is over. Right. And we're doing this and this is a thing where we can look back at this thing having had happened. And then, you know social change made him realize that no, he can't end the movie like that. He needed to have a hero. And so he reshot it with Rod coming in and Chris getting away alive Mm -hmm. because he felt like it would be less soul crushing. Right. (laughs) Which honestly, that moment was, that may be the most scared I've been in a horror movie was that moment where we see Chris stand up and the lights come on and I'm like, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, no. I just, I, I thought he was going to, oh, oh man, it was incredibly tense. It was terrible. And so that's get out. And then yeah. there's a lot. So there's a, I mean, there's a lot just on the, 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 the race side of everything is it's, mm-hmm. this is steeped in that. I mean, from the opening uh, song where it's saying, you know, you have to stay woke. And the fact that Chris is putting on white shaving cream onto his face, which is, you know, this implication of what's going to come down the road. Uh, You know, the, there's other symbolism too uh, through this thing, especially the, um, the deer head, the stag head, the buck head Mm -hmm. that Chris uses to uh, kill Dr. Armitage. Um, You know, buck being a derogatory word to, um, to black men, um, and that being the thing that kills uh, Doctor Armitage, um, you, you know, just it goes on and on and on and on. That's interesting throughout the, the film. Arvin and I talked about because the deer uh, visuals get introduced early in the film when right. Rose and Chris are driving up to her parents, and uh, a deer jumps out. And hits them, and it's like the it's like kind of the funniest deer hit scene in the world, just because. Well, it's all CGI. Oh yeah, CGI, and the deer is like flying at a hundred miles an yeah. hour. Um, but we talked about that, and and how the deer continually comes up, and there's even a deleted scene when Chris goes into the second place for the second time, uh, where he's down in the sunken place, and he's a lighter, and he's trying to light it, and there's a deer skeleton down there mm-hmm. with him. So uh, in, the, in the commentary, Peel. Yeah, talks you know, about. He, 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 he says, and I didn't watch all of it, but specifically this part of how it's foreshadowing what we learn about Chris's past right. about hit and run, which comes up a couple more yeah, times. Yeah, so if you notice film. that the deer, it's a female deer, it's a doe, right? Yeah. Uh, a deer, a female deer. And 
again, that does mirror the fact that Chris's mom was struck and left for dead by the side of the road by a car. Uh, Chris, meanwhile, was at home watching TV, which is why when he goes into the sunken place, the mirror that or the window that he sees the rest of the world is a TV. Mm. Uh, and according to Peel, everyone who has gone to the sunken place has a different experience yeah. in that as yeah. well. So, and, and then, so then, then at the end, then have, you have well, grandma who gets yeah. hit by the car and Chris having to make that decision. Do I go back for her or not? Right. And, you know, he ultimately overcomes that, you know, the, while the, woman who has grandma's brain in her becomes the surrogate mm-hmm. for his mother. Yeah. Uh, and so he's able to, I guess, work part of his issues out in that one instant mm-hmm. before she pulls off her wig and we see the evil uh, scar and, yeah. and she goes crazy. And so Matthew, you know, when they arrive back at, when they arrived for the first time at the Armitage's house and mm-hmm. they're explaining this deer accident, Rose's dad goes on, you know, quite the speech about how, you know, it's good that one. There's one less deer out there. There's too many of them. He wished more mm-hmm. of them uh, would be dead. And finally, I kind of, it kind of, to me, it clicked. Especially then, when Chris is strapped to the chair in the basement after all of the revelation of this family has come out. There is that. There is that buck mounted on the wall, which I never knew that buck was mm-hmm. a derogatory term or anything. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's it actually was something that I think Stephen may know about it the same way I did was in the 80s, Marvel named a new character, Bucky, who was a grown African-American man. Mm-hmm. And people who, who knew about it absolutely went, are you, you can't, guys. Not in the 80s. <laughs> 1987, I'm I know, like, right? that's a thing? Oh, I had never heard that, but when it yeah, happened, but if you watch if, like, wow. if you watch a lot of the older movies where you have mm-hmm. a black character that is getting... Um, in a white person's face, you know, the, the sheriff of the town will say, you know, hold on there, young buck and push him back and, you know, call him those kinds of names. And then again, I'm not, I'm not condoning it. I'm just saying this is the example. So Zach has a frame of reference to me. What what I kind of, the other thing. So the other thing that's super symbolic in this is every time we see Chris starting to get edgy about talking about his mom, as he's getting ready to be sent to the, into the, um, um, Sunken the other place. The, the sunken place he's scratching at the yeah. um the chair in the final scene he's actually in a stuffed chair and his yeah. scratching on that pops out the filling which you know he ends up mm-hmm. stuffing cotton picking cotton and putting it in his ears to block out the the hypnotic tones again another another uh, you know indicator of of where black people have come throughout history from picking cotton for the white man to picking cotton to save themselves in this. So yeah. this, this movie is filled with symbolism just on the race side. And so do you think with the the Buckhead, to me, it kind of came out where it landed was that Rose's dad goes in this tirade about hating deer mm-hmm. and not wanting them mm-hmm. to be around. But then he has this trophy buck mounted up on his wall in the spot that they're essentially... Uh, these black people go right before they essentially lose their body. Right. And so then, and then they take this body and then they wear it as a trophy right. on display. Right. And that's where I, and then he, and then Chris uses this, this display of superiority of, you know, a mounted animal that supposedly you killed to then murder him. Right. Is that good? I know that's yeah, kind of I mean, where that's, I landed that's with where you it. Can go. Yeah, I sure. 
Because the the deer thing was just always just like, and that's the only way I could figure it out. It was like this trophy that you display, and then and it, mm-hmm. and they have. No, and that, I mean, that is, if you heard that in a different context, talking about, uh, you know, people, ethnic subgroups, some people would talk that way about certain genders. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, that entire rant is framed as this weird, just kind of awkward moment. But when you look at it in context, I mean, it clearly represents, it's clearly the first indication that dad is not to be trusted. Dad has these huge issues and he's not saying it, but it's definitely, I think it's something we're definitely supposed to feel overtones of racism in that and more discomfort for Chris. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a scene that got brought up when Keel or Peel uh, was interviewed on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the scene when Rose is in her room looking up for the next prospect, right? And she's eating cereal, right? And mm-hmm. she's eating uh, Fruit Loops, mm-hmm. but the Fruit Loops are in a bowl, and the milk is in a cup, and it's just really strange. Yes. Yeah, well, she's well, separa- it's loop. the separation. Well, yeah, there's yeah. the whites are separated from. Yeah, so that's interesting. And is what they, she's they, drinking the milk from a black straw. So they they brought this up. To Peel, and they're like, so this is what you said, what we thought, and Peel apparently is like, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I just wanted to show her that she's like weird. Yeah, she's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I think is really funny. And that is weird, and the whole sequence where she is talking, and at one point she's on the phone with Rod, mm-hmm. where she's talking, and in her voice, this actress, she does good, gal. Yeah, she. In her voice, she has this worry and this fear and emotion, but her face is dead. Yeah, Allison Williams she's is her dead name. eyes, just emotionless. I think she learned that from Lena Dunham, but <laughs> she's just completely emotionless while faking this emotion to try. And she immediately starts coming on to Rod as though trying to find her next victim. And it's well, such not a necessarily creepy moment. Not necessarily trying to find the next victim, more so as she knows what he is doing. And so she knows that he's recording the conversation. So what she's saying is a subtle threat and also uh, creating an implication that she had nothing to do with Chris going missing, that it was really Rod because these two were having something going on between them. So she's subtly telling uh, Rod to back the F off or you will be next, but not in the way you think you will be next. Uh, Peel calls the Rose character two different versions of Rose. So there's the Rose we meet throughout the entire movie and then when mm-hmm. when you find out her true self, she becomes Roro. Uh, and so you can delineate the two different characters in this piece mm-hmm. by Roro and Rose, mm-hmm. which is which is really cool. Yeah, I don't do that. No, it's 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 <laughs> it makes a lot more sense and, and really brings that scene that you're talking about, Matthew, into a greater perspective, because that's what people wanted in that scene was her to be just that that sociopath face with Rose's voice. And they didn't know if they could do that. They thought maybe they may have to go in and do that in uh, ADR. But mm-hmm. no, she pulled it off in like two takes or something like that. So it's really that, impressive. That is that is impressive. I mean, that is very difficult to have emotion in your voice and not show it in your face. Yeah. Is incredibly tough. Yeah. So here's the here's the here's the thing that I like about this movie beyond the commentary that we were already talking about is that this is a very and I've talked about this before and Matthew doesn't agree with me and that's fine. But this is a very Lovecraftian movie in that the horrors that are presented in this movie are something that H.P. Lovecraft would come up with. Uh, there is a, uh, a book. Uh, one of his stories is called That Thing on the Doorstep. And it's all about 
this evil wizard who transplants his brain into, well, his, his essence. He basically mind swaps through magic, not through science and magic is what this movie comes out with. But uh, he swaps minds with his daughter so that he can go on and have immortality uh, for life. Um, it does bring to this weird pseudo-sexual connotations that go throughout that story. Um, but that's kind of what's going on in this story, too, with the, with the mind swapping, is that there's this weird magic and science going on. There's this, you know, in hindsight, this weird implication that the one of the guys that Rose dated is now her grandfather is also really weird and twisted. And I mean, Rod shouts it throughout the entire movie. Sex lives. Yeah. Sex yeah, lives. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, then there, of course, is the Armitage family. And Armitage is a uh, very well-known character in the Dunwich Horror, uh, which has this. Dr. Armitage, who's a member of the secret society that's trying to keep things from coming into our world. And he, uh, you know, he's doing, you know, he's a respected man in the community, but he also has this weird secret stuff going on underneath. Now, whether Peel will um, say that that's true or not, because I don't think anyone's ever really addressed it to him directly about, oh, is Lovecraft an inspiration in some of these things, or at least the Cthulhu mythos an inspiration in these things? We can look at this film as a current trend that's going on where people are saying, look, Lovecraft was a horrible racist. Lovecraft, the person, is the worst person in the world, and no one should associate themselves with Howard Lovecraft. But Howard Lovecraft created this this world that he basically released to the public. It's a Creative Commons license to this. And so we've seen a lot of creators in the last... Eh, five years really say, you know what? We can respect and enjoy the Cthulhu mythos without taking Lovecraft with, with by addressing Lovecraft's racism and turning it in on itself. And so to have someone like uh, Peel come in and say, you know what? The, there are these elements. That's okay. I'm embracing it because it's a, it's a cool story. And it also is addressing the racism. There is um, a really, really good book that uh, that I would recommend people go and check out called The Ballad of Black Tom, and it's written by Victor LaVale. Uh, and he is a black writer who grew up really loving Lovecraft until he, I think he says about age 15, he was like, oh, no, this is this is bad. But then in The Ballad of Black Tom, he's created a character who lives in a story that Lovecraft wrote and totally turns him into the protagonist and how he turns the entire story around on, on Lovecraft, on the creator himself. Uh, There's also a, um, uh, there is I am Providence, which is written by um, a woman who basically is looking at the weirdness, you know, just basically slaps Lovecraft's racism in front of the reader and says, this is a bad guy. Why are people, still following this stuff. Here's why. But there's also this weird horror stuff that's running through based on Lovecraft's creation. And then there is, and it's not written by a person of color, but there is a Lovecraft country, which says, Hey, all of these horror things that Lovecraft has created are true, right? So Shoggoths and secret societies and all these other things are true. Now what happens when, people of color are, are are put into these Lovecraftian situations and how do they overcome all the inherent racism and horror that comes from a Lovecraft environment. So if you also haven't read 
Lovecraft Country, it is fan-freaking-tastic. The Ballad of Black Tom and Lovecraft Country are two books that I would highly recommend to anyone who is trying to balance this. I like Cthulhu Mythos, but I really don't. I'm not comfortable with Lovecraft. Here are some writers that are totally turning that in on itself. And with Get Out, you'll notice that as soon as Get Out came out, the next project that Peel was keyed up to work on is uh, the HBO adap- is the adap- uh, HBO adaptation of Lovecraft Country. And so I think that, you know, there's this, there's this, you know, there is a Lovecraftian vibe that runs through this movie. But at the same time, it is totally slapping the Lovecraft portion of that out of the out of the picture, or at least bringing the racism part front and center. I think there are three reasons why I think that this may be considered cosmic horror, uh, maybe adjacent. But the the main things that I take away from it are a Lovecraft's subtextual and actually contextual fear of miscegenation. Yeah. Uh, as seen in the the fish people, I think is somewhat problematic in the idea of Caucasian people putting their brains into the bodies of African Americans. I think that there's a hopelessness to Lovecraft stories where everyone is insignificant in the grand scheme of things and we all go mad from the revelation and nobody ever actually gets away alive, which Chris does in the the actual cut of the film here. Yeah, in the actual cut of the film, the release version, yes. Right. Right. And I think most importantly for me, Lovecraft doesn't necessarily deal in deep character stuff. Lovecraftian characters tend to be kind of, you know, thumbnail sketches. Sure, 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 sure. Really do get deep into Chris's mind in a way that kind of, again, I'm not saying you're wrong because everybody has that you have your influences, you bring them with you and they are how you unlock other stories. And I think that it's legit. I feel a lot of Twilight Zone in this, but then if someone says to me, well, I feel a lot of Black Mirror, I'm like, are you saying that Black Mirror is like the Twilight Zone? Because I will physically fight you. So, I yeah, mean, it's the, all there. So this is this is a this is something that uh, Dr. Brad Will and I have talked about multiple times on the Finally Friday uh, show, the live stream that we do, and you can go find that over on our YouTube channel, Major Spoilers Video. It's also on MajorSpoilers.com, where we've talked about this, and we've talked about these books Specifically because they really highlight what's going on. Wired Magazine not too long ago did uh, a thing about the writers of color continue to wrestle with Lovecraft's racist legacy, uh, which is a really good read and brings up some of these books that I've already uh, talked about, especially The Ballad of Black Tom. Um, And then uh, there was a great with Victor LaVale. There was this great uh, NPR. I think it was a fresh air piece that you really ought to listen to because he goes in and says, you know, it's okay to. Uh, if you want to call it uh, Cthulhu mythos or cosmic horror or whatever, that's fine. Um, but also realize where it kind of comes from or where it's, you know, its main hub is around. And that's the thing that people are addressing and they're doing it very well. And it's so interesting to read these works. Uh, I think there's another one called, I think it's high tide, which is a direct sequel to uh, the Innsmouth um, uh, story, Matthew, that uh, addresses Essentially, the roundup of people during World War II, uh, the Japanese Americans, and putting them in concentration camp, which is essentially what happens at the end of the Innsmouth uh, story, uh, right. where uh, all the Innsmouth folk are rounded up and putting and put into a concentration camp, and what happens after that. And so, um, I would I would encourage people, and, and again, I've talked about this a lot on a bunch of different podcasts and on Finally Friday and other places that, um, you know, Lovecraft is a horrible, 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 horrible person. I can't stress that enough. Uh, you know, but at the same time, 
you can still come to uh, appreciate the the cosmic horror, the Cthulhu mythos, uh, and still keep those two separated. But this movie, when I watched it the first time, I was like, holy crap, this is this is that thing on that doorstep, which is horrifying. This is that that movie that is that has that doesn't have I know that there's some blood and violence towards the end of the movie, but this is that creepy horror that you that you feel that is right. from beyond. That is this secret society type stuff that's going on. And in the the group that is in this movie, the uh, the Red Alchemist Society is descendants of uh, the the Templars. And ever since the since the Templars, they have been working all these hundreds of thousands of uh, hundreds and thousands of years to uh, find the secret to immortality. And they find it in this brain transfer process. And so the, what if it's that the, was it the coagulate uh, is this, this process, which will allow you to live forever, ever. And appeal goes into a long description about how he has a literal volume of material on who the red alchemist society is. There are secret backgrounds. In fact, uh, down in the basement when they're doing the procedure, you notice that there's all these candles that are in there uh, during the procedure. It's like, why would you have candles and smoke in an operating room? Because there's that mysticism part of it. As you're going down that long hallway, the the pictures along the wall are the generations and generations and generations of the the uh, red uh, alchemist society. It's it's really interesting how deep Peel went into creating this this mythology, this background for this group. And I have a feeling this that we're not done with this group yet. In yeah, some way, shape, actually, or form. And first of all, I want to say that if anyone says Nicolas Cage, I will physically fight you. <laughs> Wicker Man? This remind you, the Wicker Man. Yeah. The original Wicker Man with Edward Yeah, Wicker. that one's actually a very, very good one. And I think that it's it's definitely, if not an influence, it's it's an ascendant of mm-hmm. this, or yeah. whatever the opposite yeah. of a descendant is, because you have that situation where... The character is, he doesn't know who to trust. He's in a situation where some people seem vaguely untrustworthy. Some people he kind of trusts and you get it. And he's like, nope, you chose unwisely. Mm -hmm. And that's the moment that I love because I did not catch for sure that Peter Pan was evil until about 30 or 40 seconds into the fumbling for the keys thing. Because she was looking really uncomfortable when they were on the stairs. Yeah. And I was like, it could go either way, could go either way. And well, then she's like, you know, I can't give you the keys. I'm like, damn it. Yeah. And, that, and I think that really shows um, Rose's how much the organization looks to Rose mm-hmm. and not to anyone else in the family, because Rose is that person that can go out and lure the people in right. with the way that she can she's, act and present herself. She's whereas, the one who's not creepy as hell. W- yeah. Whereas her brother has to put on the Templar helmet. And go out and, and club people and abduct them uh, in the middle of the night to get them to do yeah. their way. So it's it's really it's really, yeah. I don't want to say it's cool what they're doing, but it's it's fascinating it's, to see the character study well of crafted. yeah to see how these characters are developed to really define what their roles are in this organization yeah. and in the story and everything. It's just you can read this on so many different levels. It's yeah. it is by far my favorite movie of 2017. And the thing, this will tell you how engaging this movie I, is. I like this more than Logan. Oh, it's, yeah, it was yeah. not until after the fact that my brain went, okay, let's play. Hey, it's that guy. 
because there are there aren't a lot of hey it's that guys in here but there were three that struck me and after the film i'm like why do i know and it is i'm like okay well of course she was peter pan from girls Mm -hmm. and uh, (laughs) her mom was the girlfriend from the 40 year old virgin Mm -hmm. and of course the blind art dealer Stephen Root. Is Stephen Root. Playing his second blind character. Right. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they, they come in here, they sung into the yonder can. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about that is Stephen Root, normally, if I heard Stephen Root, it might pull me out of it. I'd hear Bill Dotrieve or I'd hear uh, JJ from uh, whatever that thing was with uh, Phil Hartman, mm-hmm. news radio. But I didn't. And I sat there and my brain kind of went later on. We need to process this. But right now, we are in this story. And when a story is so engaging that it shuts off the part of my brain that is going and then connect the dots over here and connect the dots over here, when that's not happening and I'm stuck in the story, you know that a movie is effective. And this one had me had me locked. And that's very impressive. That does not happen very often. Yeah, even the original grandfather uh, the actor playing him and I can't find his name off the top of my head. He's one of those that it's, Oh, it's that guy kind of, uh, actors as well. Mm. When uh, Colonel, he was Colonel Sanders. <laughs> yeah. The, this, so I watched this movie for the second time. Finally, only two times. Yeah, dude, I don't, I don't watch. I watch this is, this is one that I've, I rarely get to rewatch movies. This one I've seen uh, four times now. Yeah. Logan. I've only seen twice. Uh, yeah. The rewatching of movies is not, Something I do very often. Oh, well, guess what? You're going to be doing at two o'clock in the morning when you're doing feedings and all yeah, that, diaper movies. changings and That's all right. that other stuff. It was, uh, watching this for the second time was reminiscent to me of when I tried to read the book Gone Girl after mm, watching mm-hmm. the film Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Spoilers for Gone Girl. Uh, I couldn't buy into the first half of the book because I knew the twist that was about ready to come right 100 pages in or like 100 pages farther than where I was and so I couldn't buy in to what I was reading because I knew it was happening right uh this watching get out for the second time is similar but it's actually it's a it's a completely different experience right it is because now when you know. Rose is being nice to Chris at the beginning of the film, when she started talking to him the first time, we have the interaction with him when Chris is packing. Mm-hmm. It like if it gave me chills because I knew what was coming and what yeah. she was actually yeah. doing, and it was, and then and then watching her parents interact and and realizing that this society of old white people weren't being awkward white people around a black person. They were inspecting a body that they yep. would be bidding on. Yep. yep. It was a new experience yes. that, that is not what you always get with a film. It is a whole oh, yeah. new set of emotions well, watching it. So, first time I watch it, left jaw hanging open. Second yeah. time I watch it, I'm like, okay, let's play, pay real attention to the racial uh, cues that are being given in the movie and where this is all playing up. Although a lot of it's obvious, some of it is not. Uh, third time I watched it through and it's like, okay, let's find out about the secret society stuff. Then the fourth time I watched it through was, okay, let's listen to the director's commentary. And now I want to go back and watch it again, knowing what I know from the director's commentary to see what else I pick up. Here's a question for you guys. Mm-hmm. Because this society has been around for a long time. The coagulate project was based on the clothing that they're wearing late sixties, early seventies. Everyone at that party is white. Except for one man. 
Mm-hmm. Well, two people, actually. Logan mm-hmm. and an elderly Asian gentleman. Ooh. Oh. No, you're not. I'm just asking oh, the question. No. I'm just asking the question. At one point, everything Asian was very fashionable and very in. Oh. If this organization has been around for a long time, maybe that older Asian man is a transplant who is now at the end of his life cycle and is ready for another transplant. Yeah, that's possible. And I, I mean, no I one, it. no one else at the party. Yeah, no. Except for Logan again, Andre, because we know that he's there. But the only other person is everyone knows this guy. He's this Asian guy. Mm-hmm. Why, you know, why? I mean, if this is supposed to be an all white society, mm-hmm. why? Right. I think he was a transplant at some point. Now he's not wearing a hat, but scars fade over time. Right. And he's, you know, I don't remember what his hair looked like, but you'll notice Georgina didn't wear a hat either. She just had bags. She had, she had a wig. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing is, if it is only certain people continuing forever, Rose and her brother, we see them as children in the film. Right. right. So that they're having, you know, they're reproducing. Oh, sure. <laughs> they're reproducing. That's, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. the question. Yeah. But if you want to live forever, sure. you're going to have to jump from body to body to body over the course of your life. Mm-hmm. So I'm just asking that question. If you think that that person is in the movie to say, hey, look, this has been going on before. Mm -hmm. That's that's terrible. Why? Your your presumption's bad and you should feel bad. Oh, I'm just I'm just asking the question because it the the (laughs) second time I watched it, I was like, oh, wait a minute. That. Oh, hmm. And that's why I had to ask the question. By the way, the uh, the grandfather is Wilhelm from Seinfeld. Yeah, um, uh, what's his name? Hurd is his last name. Richard Hurd. Yeah. Richard Hurd. Yeah. Who is he in Seinfeld? He is. Well, he's a recurring character. He, he is, was also the. What does he do? What's oh, he do? you know what? Let's save it. Let's save it, uh, uh, Matthew, <laughs> because I have okay. a feeling he's going to show up in one more movie that we have <laughs> coming up. I'll save it. Yeah. <gasps> okay. All right, okay. You save it. So, I won't look it up. I promise. Speaking on the nature of spoilers for just a moment, mm-hmm. I managed to not spoil this film for me. I managed. Well, to and, get, and, and it's I think been none out of for us what, did. Nine months. Yeah, about nine, six months, yeah, it's probably. Been a while. Usually, when something like this happens, like uh, the the spoilery thing that happened in uh, the episode seven, I had a na- I had a notion going in. I was pretty sure I knew what it was. Oh, okay. This one I didn't, but I had read one thing that I thought was utterly fascinating that didn't spoiler the movie, but was interesting. Um, the opening song, the opening sequence with that music and the singing in the background, mm-hmm. apparently is Swahili. Yes. And the lyrics in Swahili are saying, run, brother, listen to the elders, right. run away, save yourself. <laughs> yeah. So and I'm like, um, for the, for the, um, guy who composed this peel said i want you to do something that sounds evil but isn't your typical voodoo music mm-hmm. and i want it to sound like an evil negro spiritual mm-hmm. and so that's where the swahili and the tones and the voices and everything came from in that interesting Ooh, yeah i can see that yeah 
Uh, what do you think about Rod's character? As we get close to ending this up, I thought Rod <laughs> I he's him. a great comedic relief and yeah. very uh, in film aware of <laughs> yeah of tropes and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the other thing that you're going to see in horror films is you're going to see the introduction of a comedic character to kind of sure. lighten certain moments so that when the jump scare comes 30 seconds later, it it's more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but here he's just great because uh, he is that friend that's working behind the scenes. He's going to the police. He's doing all the right things until he realizes, Oh no, no one's taking me seriously. I have to go mm-hmm. do this myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as another side note, did, did either of you ever see the get out challenge that became popular online? No. Um, the, the get out challenge is people trying to recreate the grandfather slash yard workers sprint at Chris and then turn (laughs) right before you get to the camera. Um, if you ever have, you know, a few minutes online, uh, look it up. There's some funny disastrous results of people trying to turn too fast as they sprint as fast as they can. Okay. So that's pretty funny. All right. Maybe, maybe no. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'll pass. (laughs) It's funny. It was, it was, it was a thing for a while. It was fun. Um, and it was interesting to me when Peel said that he started writing this movie when President Obama was elected and that would have been 2008 and mm-hmm, started mm-hmm. being president in 2009. Since that time in our country, we have, from my perspective, talked a lot more about race because of of Barack being president and also because of the situations we've had with police officers, uh, shooting unarmed black men, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot. And so for me, if this movie comes out, you know, 2010, 2011, it doesn't, then it's, then it's irony. Well, no, for for me, it doesn't make sense. Mm, You know, I don't right to me. I don't understand his paranoia. I don't understand what the message is. Mm-hmm. I, I, it would, it wouldn't, I don't think it, first off it would have been as popular as it was. It would have been because there, and this is my perspective as uh, a white dude in his twenties growing up in Kansas. Mm-hmm. I, f- from the last four years have, spent more time listening to people of color and seeing what they have to say about what it is actually like to live in this country. And without that, this movie makes no sense to me because it's, 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 it's talking about a perspective that I don't even comprehend. Right. You know what I mean? And that's why here in Hayes, Kansas, that movie played in the smallest theater for like one week or it was a yeah, very short know. amount of time. Know. It was probably, yeah, I, I don't know how long it was here, but not long. No, not as long as it's here for months. Well, Oh yeah, I'm sure a bigger urban environment. Yeah. And I bet it was not, uh, it was probably not in the big theater, the main theaters, uh, for as long as it was in the cheaper theaters. It was also interesting because in my theater experience, there, were like black guys sitting behind us and I knew some guys up front and they reacted to lines that would have blown over my head. And then when they reacted, 
then I had to process it. The one line that I remember at the beginning of the film is when Rose's dad is giving Chris a tour of their home and he points to a the basement door and he says essentially, uh, you know, we can't go down there. There's black mold. Mm-hmm. And the, the two guys behind us reacted and that would have been I mean, it'd been a throwaway line of yeah, like, well, yeah. just go to the basement. There's mold, right. you know. Right. But the fact that it was like black mold, they, I mean, they understood at another level that yeah. this movie doesn't hit to me on. And so that learning that he had started writing it then, when again it was look what we, it, look at what we've accomplished. We have, you know, our first non-white president. We have elected. Everything is great, and. That is, you know, the thing we were talking about when that happened. And then, you know, not not the reality for a lot of people living in this country. So here's what um, I think it's Lanry. Because I, I don't know. Someone at The Guardian wrote saying this. The villains here aren't Southern rednecks or neo-Nazi skinheads or the so-called alt-right. They're middle class white liberals. The kind of people who read this website, the kind of people who shop at Trader Joe's, donate to the ACLU and would have voted for Obama a third time if they could. Good people, nice people, your parents probably. The thing Get Out does so well and the thing that will rankle with some viewers is to show how however unintentionally these same people can make life so hard and uncomfortable for black people. It exposes a liberal ignorance and hubris that has been allowed to fester. It's an attitude and arrogance uh, which in the film leads to a horrific final solution, but in reality leads to a complacency that is just as dangerous. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, when you think about what Peel was saying that, Hey, I wrote this in 2009 to kind of say that, yeah, everyone thinks racism's over, but it's not. Unfortunately, this movie became so popular because of the rednecks and the neo-Nazis and the skinheads and the people that are out there, uh, you know, making a bigger deal of people of color than would have happened five years ago. Well, I, I mean, I think, it, I think it's more than even just that. I mean, cause it, I mean, I think the first joke in this film is my dad would have voted for Obama a right, third time, right? which is presented as a joke. And it is something I would have said and it. And it's like, that's something like, no, I have a black friend. Yeah, yeah, you don't understand. You don't right, understand. Right, I, have, right. I have a black friend. Right. I would have voted for Obama a third time. Right? How could I be racist? Right? You don't understand. I would have voted for the guy. It's fine. And like that, pointing, like you said, pointing that out to people of like the things that I would say and think to comfort myself if I found myself surrounded by uh, by not people that look exactly so, like me from the town is like the things that are pointed out as the cover for this family to try to get away with what they're doing. I I'm curious, Zach, this is your, from my perspective, your second movie that makes you look at racism through the eyes of you're a white person kind of mentality. Uh, 12 years a slave was the other one. And, and maybe no, no uh, Selma, no. Selma, no, the uh, first, the fr- well, yeah, Selma, the first movie that we've done and the first movie that did that was do the right thing. Oh, okay. All right. So you've, so there's four movies there that uh, have really impacted you. Um, how does it make you feel about the, this kind this? I shouldn't say this kind. How does it make you feel about uh, movies and themes that are, that are discussing these issues? What do you mean? Well, that is saying that, Hey, racism isn't over. Look at the struggle that, that uh, African-Americans, people of color 
having to go through on a daily basis. Does this make you more aware when you sit and watch these movies than had you just said, um, you know, I don't, you know, if this had come out, like you said, five years ago and you watched it, would you be still walking around going, oh, you know, uh, white people have done some really horrible, horrible things. Uh, yeah, potentially because like we watched do the right thing before Michael Brown was shot Mm -hmm. and, and all of the protests in Ferguson and watching do the right thing and listening to Spike Lee's commentary specifically saying only white reporters have ever asked me if Mookie did the right thing about throwing Mm -hmm. the trash can through the window. Mm -hmm. It, that it without that talk and him stating that in a film in the nineties and then saying it was only these white reporters asking that it, it changes the idea of when you, when the, when you watch protests happen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after that movie happens in real life. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like those movies without those movies, it is, it is, um, Oh, an experience that people have in this country isn't opened up to me because it's right. not um, so what I see. What you're is it's a good thing that you're watching these movies because it does make you more aware. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, this whole podcast has shown me through, you know, do the right thing, and then watching foreign films of you can learn people's experiences, not each individual person's experiences, but you get of a better idea of, you know, the white normative experience through art and through film. And, uh, you can learn and grow through them. If you don't, you know, go on it with the right, the wrong headspace. Okay. I think, I think it's easy to, it would also be to watch these movies and dismiss to dismiss them yeah. as you know, it's, uh, they're wrong. Right. It's not how this country is. It's just one guy. What does it matter? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Matthew, it sounded like you really enjoyed the heck out of this movie. I did. I really felt like this movie was unique, both as a horror film experience, but it was truly, truly scary. And just as a viewing experience, I always love it when you can really plug into a movie and you can understand how these characters interact and you can figure out, Okay, that makes sense. And there are points in this movie where I literally don't know what's going through Jim's head, Chris's head, rather. And then you're like, oh, oh. Yeah, I would really recommend that people watch this. If you're going to watch this movie, try to watch it twice if you can. Watch it first just to experience this movie. And if you haven't already seen it, we've really kind of spoiled a lot of stuff (laughs) for you. I mean, maybe it'll make you more aware of the themes and the messages that are going on and the subtle uh, foreshadowing that's going on throughout this entire entire movie. Uh, But I would really recommend watching with director's commentary on because, like I said, the fourth time, it took me three times before I was like, you know what? I'll go ahead and listen to the director's commentary because that's something I rarely do uh, in this day and age. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I did not know those those, you know dozen other things that in this movie are really, really important. And, um, it's, it's good to, to listen to have an even yeah. bigger aspect. Cause he does bring up the black mold comment, oh, does he? uh, because it does, um, it does open your eyes to a lot more things. Yeah. I specifically wanted to watch this movie with the commentary on it. Uh, when I watched it for the podcast this week, but Aubrey, she also really enjoys this film and wanted to watch it with me. And we got about 45 seconds in, and she and he she goes, 
wait, so he's he's just going to talk the entire time? <laughs> I go, yeah. I mean, it's like, kind of like listening to a podcast, but we're also watching a movie at the same time. And she said, yeah, no, we're not doing that. You can, you can play the original movie and that's fine. All I go, right. all right, that's fine. Okay. I'll watch by myself. So next week, we will definitely be into October and the final four films on Zach on Film. Yeah. What, what's next As week? we look at next week, the first, the scariest, Halloween. Oh, boy. This is why you don't go to camp and you don't make out with girls at Camp Zach. I know this is a camp okay, movie because that's my Friday the thirteenth. Sorry. Oh, is it? Oh. But it's still yeah. this movie too. Because Halloween is not <laughs> taking place at camp. It doesn't Oh yeah, that's right. I'm thinking of the different uh thirteenth. The different Friday stabber the guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Friday the thirteenth. But still Wait, what's Halloween? Uh Michael Halloween Myers. Is Michael Myers and Jamie Lee Curtis. Did they redo this the recently? Birthday. They've redone this movie yes. like 30 times. Did they do it in like 2009? The, the 30th yes. anniversary, yes. Uh, I watched that one. It was garbage. Or was it was it Halloween 20? Was that what it was? I don't know. It was like I don't uh, remember what it was. H20 was like 2004. Yeah. So no, but they remade a Halloween. This movie keeps night. this movie will not die just like Michael Myers. Okay, cool. Halloween 1978. Jamie Lee Curtis. John yep. Carpenter. Another John Carpenter movie that Oh yeah. Seen. Sweet. Yeah, Donald like Pleasance, Carpenter. Jamie Lee Curtis, Deborah Hill. Oh, and William Shatner's head. That's weird. Just his <laughs> face, really. So yeah. that's next week on Zach on Film. In the meantime, head over to Majorspoilers.com where you can find this podcast posting page and give all of your thoughts about what we've talked about this episode or any of your own thoughts on Jordan Peele's Get Out. While you're there, head over to Amazon.com. You are going to want to buy Get Out on Blu-ray because it's that special. You don't want to deal with like blocked uh, streaming Kodak. You you just want to see it in pristine Blu-ray. Uh, when you use that link at Major Spoilers, it's not going to cost you any extra, but a little bit money. We'll come back to Major Spoilers to keep podcasts like this going. Thank you for listening this week, and we will see you next week on Zach on Film. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.